Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. May it be here in Portland as it is in heaven. Amen. If you're like me, you hate debt. There's nothing worse than owing someone else money. You feel almost enslaved until you pay off that debt to them. So we pay our mortgages, right? We just started a new month. So if you're like me, you just made your mortgage payment. It's a very painful one to pay. Or maybe you have credit card debt, or maybe you're paying off a vehicle. And you start to realize when you make those payments, I don't actually own what I think that I own until there's no longer a debt. And I paid the item off. We're right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us to pray that our debts will be forgiven. Of course, he's not speaking about our financial debts. He is speaking about our sin. Last week, we saw that we had to pray for our physical provision, for our daily needs, for our daily bread. And this week, we're going to see, he's going to tell us to pray for our spiritual needs. As part of our regular prayer should consist of asking for forgiveness of sins that we have committed. First John 1, 8 through 10 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It tells us here that God is faithful and God is just. And when we confess our sins of our lives, that God completely forgives us. That's an amazing promise. You don't have to hold on to those things. You can actually, there's freedom in in voicing them and saying, God, I've done this. And then he will completely forgive us. And then Jesus also tells us, just as God will forgive us our sins, that we likewise should forgive others when they sin against us. This week, we're looking at what Jesus says about forgiveness. And the main point of our sermon is to answer really three questions. We'll give them to you in the front end, then we'll break these down. Why does anyone need to pray for forgiveness? Why does a Christian need to ask for forgiveness? And how do our prayers impact our forgiveness of others? If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12 is where we'll be, and we'll also look at verses 14 and 15. So Matthew 6, verses 9 through 12. I'll give you just a second to get there. Here's what it says, starting verse nine. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so our first question is, why does anyone need to pray for forgiveness? A friend of mine, uh, Pastor Matt Blackwell, gives us four ways that we deal with guilt. So let's start there. The first way is, he calls it the distractor. This is when you, you know that you've messed up, but you keep yourself busy so you won't really think about how you've messed up. You binge Netflix, or you, you just scroll social media, you, you use drugs or alcohol, or maybe pornography. You find some kind of way to numb it so that you don't really think about it. But in the end, this leaves us empty, and in turn, those things often become our little G, God. The second thing is we become the comparer. Yes, I've messed up and I recognize and I know that I've messed up, 
but I'm not as bad as other people. And even in a room like this, we might kind of point and say, but I know that this person did this, so I'm not, I'm not as bad, right? Like siblings do this. We kind of one-up each other. And if God graves on a curve, then, then I'm good. That was my motto in school. <laughs> but God doesn't compare us to other people. It tells us in scripture that God compares us to his son, Jesus, and every one of us falls short of Jesus. But here's the good news. God still offers us forgiveness because of Jesus. The third person is the crusher. I know I've messed up and you might, you might hear yourself saying, I'm the worst. Nobody could love me, not even God himself. I've gone beyond his forgiveness. I've gone beyond anything that he could do. And so what we do is we push everyone away. This is when you start, you, you quit attending church gatherings, things like this. You just feel so guilty that you can't see yourself showing up. And oftentimes you would feel guilty because of the, being under the preaching of God's word. You, you quit attending gospel community or it becomes kind of sporadic because you're crushed by the guilt. And what you're doing here is you're simultaneously maximizing your sin in your life and saying that my sin is more important and you're minimizing God's grace in your life and what God wants to do. And the fourth is the definer. We try to avoid feeling guilty by our sin by simply changing the definition of right and wrong. Okay, my generation is notorious for this, maybe every generation, but it feels like every single generation and the one behind us is even more. It's like, well, let me redefine what this says about this. And now I don't feel like I've done anything wrong or feel guilty because now I've changed the description of what scripture and what God may call something sin. And it's no longer sin because the culture says it's not sin. And what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you enough to know what's actually good and bad. And so we put ourselves at the center of everything. But let's look at what, what, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen behind me, at what God tells us in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It sounds like a good exchange to me. Here's the thing. Jesus knows who you are fully. Now that, in some ways, that can be scary. Think about your life. Think about the deepest, darkest things about your life that nobody else knows. Jesus knows us. But he loves you completely in spite of that. There is good news in that, that he knows you fully, but he loves you completely. And this comes from the confession, God, forgive me my debts. Now, if you're unfamiliar with confession in the biblical and Christian context, it's essentially agreeing with God. You're agreeing that there's something wrong or that maybe there's something broken inside of you while trusting at the same time that Jesus will fix me. So you recognize there's something, something off here. I can't do anything about it, but I know at the same time I trust that Jesus can do something about it. To confess is to say, I want to name my symptoms. I want to name them completely. I want to name them comprehensively because I want healing completely and comprehensively. Romans 3, 22, it says, the righteousness of God through the faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Are you still trying to pay your own debt of sin? I think what I've watched, I've been in church for a really long time. I think what I've watched sometimes is we, we initially give our lives to Christ or get saved is a phrase we use in church a lot of times. And when you recognize it's Jesus, it was all of Jesus, it was him on the cross and his, his death and his resurrection. But then we live the rest of our lives in this big process, this big theological term called sanctification, but we live like it all depends on us. Like I'm actually the one who has to pay now for that debt. And so if that's you, you find yourself in this kind of endless cycle and I'm here to let you know that it's impossible. You can't pay for your own debt, but there's good news. The good news is that there's a free gift of forgiveness in all, of all sin and all debt, past, present, 
and future that Jesus is willing to forgive you of. It's available in him. That's really good news. Because I don't know about you, but I sinned this week. I'm not going to confess what I sinned, but I sinned this week. And my guess is you did too. We ask Andrea. And so forgive us our debts. That phrase, it doesn't mean believers need to ask for daily justification. Like, oh, oh no, like all of a sudden my relationship with God is, is, is no longer in existence. Because we are justified forever at the moment of our initial salvation. It tells us in Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, what this prayer is, it's a restoration of the fellowship of the relationship that we have with God because it has been hindered again by our sin. And so how do we take Jesus up on his power to heal us? Confession. Tyler Staten says, confession is how we turn to him. We look him in the eye and acknowledge his presence is here with us, not to judge, but to rescue. So God is here to rescue. And so there's freedom in the confession. Second, why does a Christian need to ask for forgiveness? One of the biggest mistakes I think we've made in the modern church is to reimagine spiritual maturity aside from confession. Like we kind of make it like we, the, the idea is that we need to confess less. And I think what this was an overcorrection probably to the Catholic church. That's probably what it was. To where you go and you see the priest and you, and you confess your sins. So we got to where it was like, we confess one time and that's it. We don't ever confess again. And so the unspoken assumption is as I grow my relationship with God, I somehow now confess less because I have less to confess. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought we were forgiven once and we received salvation. Why do I need to ask for forgiveness again? Because spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. And that we find that we're able to go to our father, who we looked at a few weeks ago, and that we're able to freely open up and confess what is happening, what's going on in our lives. And so while it's true, we are forgiven in the, in the salvific sense, in the salvation sense, only once, right? There's a, the, the true time that you get saved but we have to understand that our relationship with God is multi-layered. There's a legal sense in which we're all guilty before God. Every single one of us. Every single man, woman, child in this room. Everyone outside of this room. But because it's no longer on the books if we've given our life to Christ, we're no longer guilty. Okay, amen? amen. I said amen last week. My kids were the only one who said it back. So <laughs> we got a higher success rate this week. This means that all past, present, future sins have been forgiven, right? So the things you commit in the past, and most of us know that, right? Our stories, what we call our testimony sometimes, like we know we're forgiven of those things. And those things that you're presently walking through, the things that you committed this week, and then God knows that, you know what, they're saying this coming week in the future that you're going to commit, that, that he's forgiven us of all those things. We say that we believe in grace, and we're, 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 I'm a big grace guy, our church is a big grace church. But confession is how we actually show that we trust what we already believe in. See, the very parts of our stories, and we all have them, that we want to edit, that part that we would say, like, get the, the white out and kind of mark through it or erase it all together, those become parts of our stories that, that God actually uses because that's who God is. God is, God is this author who takes those, our messed up lives, our rebellion, and uses those for his glory, for his good, and, and to draw others in. And at the same time, we relate to God as our father back in verse nine. And when we sin, 
And we can go back to our Father who loves us, who wants this relationship with him time and time again. Isn't that incredible? That we can go to our Father. I love my boys unconditionally. And the two that are in the room, I want you to know that. I love you unconditionally. (laughs) But there are times when there's something wrong in the relationship. Something's broken in the relationship. Now, they're still my sons and I'm still their father in that moment. And my love does not change for them. But there's, there's, a, there's a brokenness that can happen. If you're a parent, you can relate. Until they come in and, and they say, Dad, I'm sorry. I've done this. I've, I've wronged this. I've done these things. And they respond, boy, you better. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Son, I love you and you're forgiven, right? Because I'm their father. It didn't change my love for them, but there was kind of a, a wedge in the relationship in that moment. In the same way, we continue to go to our father in heaven. When you think about this idea of why you have to ongoing confession of forgiveness, Andre and I just celebrate 16 years of marriage. 16 happy, wonderful years of marriage. And on our wedding day, we looked at each other in the eye and we said, I love you. But imagine for 16 years, I've never told Andrea that I loved her again. And imagine on our anniversary trip to Hood River, she came to me crying and said, you've never told me again that you love me. And I looked at her and said, I told you on our wedding day. That would be strange. It would be strange in the same way if we went back to God and said, well, God, I I asked you for forgiveness 16 years ago or whatever it was that I gave my life to you. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation because I don't believe that you have. Church doesn't teach that. But I think you may have lost out in some of the fullness of that relationship of going to your father in heaven, hallowing his name and letting him know what's going on in your life. So why do we pray this prayer? Because it reminds us of the cross. It reminds us of the forgiveness in Jesus. Third, how do our prayers impact our forgiveness of others? If you're thinking, man, he's at the third question already. This will be the shortest message Matt's ever preached. This is my longest question. Look down at verses 14 and 15 in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is reemphasizing the importance of forgiving others now as a result of you being forgiven. He's indicating there's this direct relationship between having been forgiven by God and the forgiveness that his disciples, and that would include us, that we must now extend to others. And somehow there's this like deep importance that we might easily miss here. That as a forgiven community, for their prayers to be effective, they also need to extend forgiveness to others as they are wrong in their life. It's like forgiveness is indispensable to the life and health of your soul, just like food is for the body. The addition of the words, as we also have forgiven our debtors, is further emphasized in verses 14 and 15. It says our Father will forgive us as we forgive, if we forgive others. This does not mean our forgiveness of others earns our right to be forgiven. Jesus earned that. It is rather that God forgives only the repentance. And that one of the chief evidence of true repentance is a forgiving spirit. Like that you recognize that you've forgiven. And you might say, how do I know I'm truly forgiven? Are you forgiving of others? Jesus is saying that to fail to forgive others is to demonstrate that one has not felt the saving touch of God. 
Maybe you went through some religious experience, but there's not a true understanding there if you're harboring and not willing to forgive others in your life. Because the evidence of grace of God is at work in your life as you become a forgiving person because you extend that same grace to others. Now that doesn't mean, and I'll probably say this a few times, that doesn't mean that there has to be this like, okay, this relationship is now this way and I just overlook all those paths, all those things, right? We're not gonna unpack that fully today, but there's, there's forgiveness there. Andrea and I were talking about this yesterday in the car. There's people in my life, maybe even her life, I was talking about my life at that time, that I have forgiven, but I don't think the relationship will ever be there again. And that, honestly, I, th- I think that's okay. I don't see where scripture's indicating we have to have that same level of relationship. But we see as Jesus is connecting the two components of forgiveness and the receiving and offering. You are a forgiving person because you've been a forgiven person. Let me say that again. You are a forgiving person because you've been a forgiven person. And forgiveness becomes a natural overflow of who you are now in Christ. Let me say this sensitively, gently. Forgiveness is an incredibly hard thing to do. I'm hoping right now that God is bringing people and situations to your heart and to your mind whether they ha- you have forgiven them or maybe you haven't and you think, man, that, yeah, that actually is a really hard thing to do. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have been overlooked in your life. And you might be thinking, I'm just not sure I can do it. C.S. Lewis, he says, everyone says forgiveness is a beautiful, ta- beautiful thing until they have something to forgive. Former gymnast, uh, Rachel Denhollander, most of you will know her name. She told abuser, Larry Nasser, that she hopes he experiences true repentance. The ex-Olympics gymnast doctor had been sentenced to 175 years and pleaded guilty to 10 counts of sexual assault against girls and young women. Rachel stood up in court and spoke for 40 minutes to her abuser and listen to what she says. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done. She went on to say, you cannot earn Jesus' forgiveness without facing up to what you have done and all its utter depravity and horror without mitigation. She goes on and she explains God's grace to him. This is in a courtroom. Someone who's been physically, sexually abused by this man. And she said, forgiveness is available to you. She says, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. Here's what she says. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. She added that she wanted him to find true repentance. She said, I pray you experience the soul crushing weight of guilt So you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. What a powerful testimony. So often we take justice into our own hands and we only see the offense that was done to us. Thankfully, God doesn't do that to us. In Matthew 18, and then we'll wrap up, Peter asked Jesus how often he was to forgive someone who had committed an offense against you. Culturally at the time, it was three times. And so if you got to the fourth time, 
And someone who committed something against you is like, sorry, I already forgave you three times. Go, go your own way. So Peter's thinking he's clever. He comes up to Jesus and he asks, how many times am I forgive someone, Jesus? Seven times? He's doubled the cultural standards and then he's added one for the number of completion, right? You gotta think Peter's pretty proud of himself in this moment, like, look, Jesus, I got it. But Jesus looked at him and said, no, Peter, it's more like 77 times or 70 times, seven times. The actual number isn't important. What Jesus is doing, he's going beyond what the culture says, the cultural standards. Peter being put in his place by Jesus is now told a story. He says, there's a king and he has all these servants and they've all taken loans out from the king in order to work the land. So the king eventually calls all the servants back and he says, it's now time to pay all of your debt. One servant comes in before the king with a massive debt. It says it's 10,000 talents, which based on our estimates, that's about 17 years of wages for 10,000 people. This is the debt that this servant owes. Hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in unpayable debt. Probably makes your student loans look not so big any longer. And the servant says, I can't pay this debt. And the king responds, you, your wife, and all your children are going to jail. And so the servant throws himself on the mercy of the king and he says, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. You can hear his pleading. He's probably down prostrate on the floor. The king has compassion and he forgives his debts completely. Right? You throw a party in that moment. Can you, like, all the debts have been forgiven. And that comes at a great cost to the king himself. Those debts don't just go away. The king absorbs all of that debt in that moment. And he sends the servant out forgiven and probably having the best day of his life. And if you know the story, unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. This forgiven servant, he walks out and he sees a friend, another servant who owes him a few hundred dollars. They, they say it's equivalent of maybe half a year's wages. And his friend says, yeah, I know. I'm working on it, getting the money, but I'll pay you back soon. This recently forgiven servant says, no, you pay me now. He yells at his friends. He takes his hands, wraps around his, his throat, says, you owe me money. And his friend is able to, to mutter out a few words. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This should sound really familiar to this servant because he just used the same words with the king inside. But now he's demanding an immediate payment for a much smaller debt. And so we find this servant who had just been forgiven this massive debt. He's unwilling to forgive the much smaller debt of this other servant. The king who had forgiven the massive debt, he was made aware of the situation. Apparently some other servants were watching and said, look, look what has now happened. Look what took place. And he was furious at the forgiven servant. And so the king ordered him to be cast into prison until he could repay the unpayable debts. And Jesus concluded he said, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What is Jesus doing in this story? I think what Jesus is doing, he's handing every single one of us a mirror and saying to those who have been forgiven much, an unpayable debt. Remember when I looked at Romans, the wages of sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world was death. And it was paid for. They're saying, look in the mirror. Those who have been forgiven much 
How can you, church, not be a forgiving people when you've been forgiven so much? Of all people, right? Our culture, this is where I'm like, I, I see some, some good side of it, but this is where I'm very cautious about like cancel culture, right? Just, I'll re-cancel them. I get that, right? Once again, it doesn't mean you have to be in this fellowship with these people, but I think the church, right? We're countercultural, right? We live in a countercultural city, but we are the true counterculture. It's the church. Like we should still be a forgiving people, right? Granting forgiveness to others is not optional for the Christian, but it is difficult to do, which is why we pray, Father, forgive me and make me a forgiving person. The king's grace in this story, it's meant to be shocking. Like, whoa, how can he forgive so much? And the servant's lack of forgiveness is meant to be appalling because it's to show us what it looks like. And see, the servant wasn't acting like his king. And so to solve this, we look to the king, Jesus, who became the servant. Jesus, the king, went to great debts and unpayable debts so that we wouldn't have to. Let that sink in. You should have been on that cross. I should have been on that cross. And remember in his worst suffering on the cross, what Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus didn't teach us to pray. Jesus lived prayer. And in that moment, Jesus is praying for every single person who has put him on the cross. Every one of us who in our sin didn't know what we were doing. And the last thing he says on the cross is it is finished. It's been paid in full. You have been forgiven. I'll admit, I don't know the depth and the pain of the wrongs that have been committed against you or done to you. Some of you I don't even know. Some of you I don't know your stories well enough to know those things. But here's what I do know. I do know one who does know. I know one who has felt the weight of injustice. I know the one who has felt the weight of betrayal. I know the one who has felt the weight of every sin done to him. And what he says is, Father, forgive them. It is finished. It is paid. How are we to live this out? Because it is really hard. Let me conclude with this. Theologian N.T. Wright describes forgiveness like this. He says, forgiveness is more like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life that they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself and you will suffocate very quickly. Whatever the spiritual, moral, and emotional equivalent of the lungs may be, it's either open or closed. If it's open, able, and willing to forgive others, it will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. But if it's locked up to the one, it will be locked up to the other. If we are to receive God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, then we are at the same time to extend the love, mercy, and grace to others who have wronged us. Because our treatment of others reveals much about what is going on deep within our hearts. And so let me pray for us to that end. I'm gonna guide us through a time of, of response of what this looks like in at least initially in our lives. Father, just as you have forgiven me, make me a forgiven person. Father, just as you have forgiven us as a, a faith community, make us a forgiving community of others. God, where your word wasn't made clear this morning, please make it clear. And God, may we follow through 
and an act of confession and an act of forgiveness of others. In your name, amen. So a growing community, what I mean by that is in our maturity as a community and faith community is a confessing community. We're not a church without sin. We never will be. But I want us to be a church without secrets, without harboring things. And so I'm gonna guide us through two, two parts this morning. The first is confession, where we search and we name. God searches us and we name what it is in our life, what, what may, an area of sin. And so what I want you to do, if it's not too weird for you, if it helps you, you still your mind, still your body. If it helps, you can close your eyes. Some people like to, to open their palms and just a posture of receiving. But open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to pray these words from Psalm 139. Search me, Lord, and know me. And maybe just pray that over and over. Search me, Lord, and know me. Search me, Lord, and know me. And as God reveals any unconfessed sin in your life, this morning, the gift that you are given is to confess. And I'm not asking you to even confess it to anybody else. If you find that helpful and need to, we can make that available, but to confess that to your father. And so I'm gonna give you just a couple of minutes and then I'll guide us into the next part. So search me, Lord, and know me. Search me, Lord, and know me. Search us, Lord, and know us. God, may we be 
known as a people who continually confess to our Father because we know that you love us and you've forgiven us. My prayer is that each of us would repent of our unforgiving hearts and seek to forgive others in our lives because we are never more like our Father in heaven than when we offer forgiveness to others. And so we ask our Father to forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And may that prayer be true now and every single day going forward. So the second way I want to guide us through is, is forgiveness. And so I've got a couple of questions for you, and I'm, I'm going to want you just to seek the Lord again and think through these. But the first question is, who are you not forgiving today? Is there someone in your life? Is there a situation in your life? Maybe you've been hurt by an individual. Perhaps it's someone who wronged you years ago and God brought it to your heart and mind this morning. Yet you're still maybe holding on to the bitterness or the bitterness has grown over the years. Or maybe it's the person who wronged you this week. Maybe there was a situation with somebody. Whenever, whoever, remember the evidence we have been forgiven is that we forgive. So I'm gonna give us another minute and just take, take that time. And Maybe you need to make a phone call this week. You don't have to share that with me. Maybe you have to make a phone call. Maybe you need to send a text. Maybe you need to go to a, somebody's house if they live here in town. What a powerful testimony to say, hey, I've been holding on to this, but I, I want to offer forgiveness, and here's why. Because I followed Jesus, and he offered me forgiveness first. And so let's take a minute and just, you know, you may not have that. It's possible everyone doesn't have any of that. And praise God, but it's possible somebody does. So let's just take a minute and ask God to reveal where maybe we haven't forgiven somebody in our lives and how we can do that this week. Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.